Help pilots plain tales. The son of Zeus. Mrs. Anderson was heavy with child. She had carried her little pilot for eight months, and the end of her pregnancy was in sight. The boy pilot, eventually to become the old pilot, was about to fill his lungs and scream for the first time, and probably not the last. But just three weeks before that momentous occasion, another baby was about to begin its life. It was August the 23rd, 1954, as serial number 533397 was towed out of its hangar in Burbank, California, for its maiden flight. This chubby child had been conceived in the Lockheed Skunk Works, named so because of the appalling smell emanating from a nearby plastics factory. And although Kelly Johnson had his doubts about the future success of the project, the team, led by Willis Hawkins, went on to father the design. The origins of the aircraft go all the way back to the Chase XCG-20 Avitruck, a large assault glider developed at the end of the Second World War. By the time the towed glider was completed, the concept was considered redundant, but the design was successfully modified into a two-engined military transport, the very successful Fairchild C-123 provider family of aircraft. However, the Korean War demonstrated the need for a new generation of larger and more powerful tactical transport aircraft that needed to be designed from the ground up as a military aircraft rather than a civilian conversion. Lockheed took on the challenge, and the culmination of their efforts that took to the air that day was named the YC-130 Hercules. The original specification called for an internal cargo area width of 10 feet, height of 9 feet, and length of 41 feet, which could carry 72 combat troops. Its range was a little over a 1,000 nautical miles, and it was powered by four Allison T-56 turboprops. The rear cargo ramp reflected its design origins right back to the Avitruck glider, and it allowed the enormous flexibility of driving vehicles straight on and off, as well as opening it in flight for airdrops. Right at the very start, the adaptability of the design was reflected in the early development of a version equipped with skis and an electronic reconnaissance version. Pretty soon the aircraft became operational with the USAS Tactical Air Command, where its range was extended by the addition of external wingtip tanks. The aircraft was seen to have great potential from very early on. Its cargo deck could carry an astonishing 300 pounds of weight per square foot, and it could get off in a mere 855 feet of ground roll. It was destined to be a workhorse that would fulfil a multitude of roles with casual ease. The initial A models had three-bladed props, so a B model was developed with the more efficient four-bladed Hamilton standard props and uprated engines. Some of the 130Bs were converted to intelligence gatherers by fitting false external fuel tanks into which SIGINT aerials were located. 
An extended range E-model entered service in 1962 with big Sergeant Fletcher tanks under the wings and further improved Allison turboprops. The E-model had structural and avionics upgrades and a higher gross weight which attracted sales to countries like Australia, Sweden and Spain. An air-to-air refuelling version, the KC-130, was developed as early as 1958, which served with the US Marine Corps. The versatility and manoeuvrability of the aircraft was well demonstrated by the four horsemen. This small group of Air Force pilots had some time to kill after a training day with the 101st Airborne was cancelled, so they decided to practice some close formation. After a few sessions, they were getting pretty good, and they began to work up a routine. Initially, they called themselves the Thunder Weasels, but the brass were sufficiently impressed to allow them to become an officially recognised team, the Four Horsemen. They started their routine with a diamond formation takeoff, and then tightened up the formation until the number four was a mere seven feet behind his lead. During one display, the number three lost an engine. The crew calmly completed the engine shutdown drill and then continued the display on three engines without even moving out of position. The Vietnam War called for a new special operations version of the aircraft, the MC-130E Combat Talon. Covered in radar reflective paint, the Herc had the special electronics package, River Clamp Fitted, and the remarkable Fulton surface-to-air recovery system. A person or package on the ground was attached to a large helium balloon via a strong nylon line. The Hercules then deployed a large scissor-shaped yoke from its nose, which they used to snag the line, cutting free the balloon and yanking the cargo off the ground to be winched in through the rear cargo door. That must have been quite a ride. Another Vietnam-era version was the AC-130 gunship, initially called Project Gunship 2, and developed into the Spooky, Stinger, Ghost Rider and Spectre versions. The armament and rolls of each type altered slightly, but the firepower that they could deliver was formidable, using a variety of weapons, such as the M61 Vulcan cannon, the 40mm Bofors cannon and the 105mm Howitzer. The weight of fire that these aircraft could rain down was increased further with Griffin missiles, GBU-39 small bombs and the GAU-12 equaliser cannon, in addition to the 30mm Bushmaster cannon. In more recent times, the armament has been upgraded further, as has the sophistication of the sensors used to direct them and the latest versions have an eye-watering selection of cannons, missiles, mortars, precision-guided munitions, and the future possibility of tactical lasers and directed energy weapons. These amazing flying arsenals provided vital assistance during many situations, such as the evacuation from Phnom Penh, the seizing of the SS Mayaguez, Iran, Nicaragua, Grenada, Panama, El Salvador, and Iraq, just to name a few. 
the AC-130 also holds the record for the longest Hercules flight at 36 hours during a non-stop air refueled mission between Florida and South Korea. As the capability of this can-do aircraft was realised, it took over more and more roles. Aerial delivery, such as the low-altitude parachute extraction system, which plucked a load from the back of an aircraft flying at less than 10 feet and deposited it neatly onto the ground. Very useful when under fire. Aerial firefighting, aerial photography and mapping, airway refuelling, airborne drone launch and control, an airborne hospital, a hurricane hunter, and if you hadn't seen the images of the brave pilots and observers of the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron penetrating the eye of a major hurricane, you need to. The unit has received 11 outstanding unit awards. Other roles such as maritime patrol, missile tracking and satellite recovery, a fascinating technique that could pluck a reconnaissance satellite film capsule, ejected and brought back into the atmosphere by hooking onto the parachute system using a loop of brass hooks that would snag the payload and bring it on board the C-130. NASA research, oil and spill control and dispersal, and search and rescue, just to mention a few. The stories that abound concerning the mighty Hercules include the remarkable feat of Lieutenant Flatley and Lieutenant Commander Stovall, Navy fighter pilots. The U.S. Navy decided, in its wisdom, that they needed a supersized COD, a carrier onboard delivery aircraft, and that that was going to be the C-130. So they borrowed a KC-130 from the Marines, removed the wing tanks and improved the anti-skid brakes and, after a few days of learning how to fly the Hercules, the crew took it 500 miles out into the Atlantic to find the USS Forrestal. Their biggest worry was limiting the sink rate to only 9 feet per second, particularly since there was a 30-foot sea that day, but in fact they bettered that mark by a considerable margin. After a few touch-and-goes, well, 29 to be precise, they achieved 21 unarrested full-stop landings, using only 267 feet, about twice the C-130's wingspan. The weight was slowly increased until it reached the maximum payload, and even then it only took 750 feet to get airborne. Art Flock Lockheed's chief engineer was aboard the ship to observe the landings. That aircraft, he recalled, stopped right opposite the captain's bridge. There was cheering and laughing as on the side a big sign had been painted. Look, Ma, no hook. Despite the success of the trial, with only a 15-foot clearance between the wingtip and the island, the carrier's superstructure, it was considered too risky for regular operations. However, the Hercules is still the largest aircraft to ever operate from a carrier, and Lieutenant Flatley was rightly awarded the DFC for his efforts that day. The success of the C-130 can't be overstated. 
It has been operated by 72 different countries, from Afghanistan to Zambia, and has developed into over 40 separate variants. It has been used to set 54 world aviation records and has an amazingly low accident rate, particularly considering some of the hazardous roles that it undertakes. The Royal Air Force, for example, has recorded only one accident for every 250,000 hours of flying over the past 40 years. On the 20th of August 2013, the Indian Air Force landed a C-130J at Dulat Beg Uli airstrip in Ladakh at an elevation of 16,614 feet. With the latest variant still in production, the Hercules has been produced for longer than any other military aircraft. The current C-130J Super Hercules has Rolls-Royce AE2100 D3 turboprops with doughty six-bladed composite scimitar propellers, head-up displays, digital electronics and a reduced crew requirement. It can fly 40% further at a speed 21% higher with a 41% shorter takeoff distance than the previous versions. Fifteen nations have placed orders for a total of 300 of the J model. That will bring the number produced to well over 2,500 aircraft. Quite a Herculean effort for the much-loved Fat Albert, Herc, Vibrator, Bug Smasher, Bleed Air Blimp, Hog, Herky Bird, or whatever you want to call it and having spent many an hour being deafened in the bowels of one, I call it bloody uncomfortable.